Welcome to the Prize of Possibility podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Mitch Ablett. I have a strong belief that the greatest prizes in life are hidden in plain sight. They are the nuances, the nooks and crannies of everyday moments that are easily missed. Join me in these conversations with authors and influencers and researchers to miss fewer of them, to truly claim these prizes. Uh, so thank you so much, Rick, for, for joining us. Rick, you know, I, I just have to say, Rick is a, uh, a friend. He and I met uh, uh, several years ago here in Boston at a, at a conference where we both presented. And uh, he's the best-selling author, as many of you know, of uh, several books. Uh, first book that I read of yours that really had an impact on me was Buddha's Brain. But he's uh, mm-hmm. also written Hardwiring Happiness, Resilient. And most recently, very excited to dig into this, uh, this beautifully covered uh, book, Neurodharma, uh, with the subtitle, New Science, Ancient Wisdom, and Seven Practices of the Highest Happiness. Uh, so very excited to, to get into that, Rick, but thank you so much for, for joining me for a chat about uh, Fleet's book and some of its themes. Mitch, I'm, I'm really glad to be here and also bows of respect to Fleet and his book. It's honestly what he managed to cover between two covers is astonishing to me. The depth, the breadth, the heart, the practical value, the, the relentless commitment in every page in every sentence to people's well-being. You can really feel it in him. And I just think it's one of the best books around, uh, really, in the whole self-help space. And his core idea, which we're going to get into, of responsibility and radical at the roots of responsibility. Happy to do it. And and also, it's always such a pleasure to hang out with you, truly. (laughs) We were joking before we started. And if people only knew what was on your feet, but anyway, <laughs> open-toed well, sandals. You, 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 yeah, well, you made the very cool comment that I'm all doctorate up here, but yeah, I'm keeping it real with my feet. So, yes, very open-toed sandals. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> the that's days right. of Zoom. But uh, but yes, yeah, I, I, I agree around Fleet's book. And as people that are uh, encountering his book in the, this month in the club are finding, there's an awful lot going on in Fleet's book. I mean, he kind of covers it all. There's, you know, he's got this, this very cool philosophy that he lays out around the distinction between blame and ownership right up yeah. front that you and I are going to chat about. But there's so much by way of his personal story in here and the credibility that he brings, uh, the practices that really build on each other. Mm-hmm. It's like a it's like a cohesive plan for really building that sense of ownership. So yes, there's a lot, there's a lot happening with, uh, with Lee's book. By, by way of that, I thought maybe to start our chat and uh, to give us a focus, I'll read us just a, a, a quote that comes from the introduction to, to Fleet's book. Um, since you're joining us in the club up, up in the, the first week as our first uh, panelist, uh, he says in the intro, Uh, My more universal purpose is to help people gain freedom from the disempowering, traumatizing, and ultimately demeaning scourge of blame and shame that dominates our Western culture. Then down a little bit on the same page, he says, radical responsibility addresses the very core of our condition, where the possibilities of imprisonment and freedom, violence and peace, suffering and joy continuously co-arise offering us the same alternative repeatedly, either awaken to the liberating power of conscious ownership or give power away by blaming others and abdicating responsibility for our choices. The distinction between blame and ownership is the most crucial distinction offered in this book. My core message is that by embracing radical responsibility for the choices we make, we discover the fruits of self-empowerment and genuine personal freedom, and that we can do so with profound self-compassion, completely free of self-blame. So I, I kick it off with that for, you know, I think this, this is what the book is all about and what makes it radical responsibility. It's that it's, it's about sidestepping all that conditioning 
perhaps even wiring in us that maybe you and I could chat about, I'm, I'm not sure what the science would say currently, that leads us to blame others, blame ourselves, versus get on a path of practice that leads us toward true ownership in our in our daily lives. But uh, so yeah, you know, what is this concept of ownership? Why is it so hard for us to to own, particularly the negative, the mistakes, the errors that we make in our daily lives? Answer that for us, Rick. <laughs> Snap. <laughs> well, I think that this really gets at this core distinction um, of how do we manage challenges in life while remaining in what I call casually the green zone. Mm -hmm. uh, in other words, or maybe as the Buddha put it a long time ago, how do we deal with challenges to safety, challenges to satisfaction, and challenges to connection, uh, including confronting our own responsibility for yeah. harming others and harming ourselves. How do we do that? How do we live a full and a wholehearted life without being invaded by stress and striving and hatred and greed and delusion uh, yeah. and shame in the core of our being? Yeah. That's the fundamental question because we need to obviously be able to discern better and worse. I think feeding kids is better than mm -hmm. not feeding kids. There's no escape yeah. from values. To want right. to escape values is a value. In ultimate reality, there's no value imposed upon it, but in biological life and in human life, we must have values. Uh, our daughter has a cat, and that cat has a high value on coming home to his mommy, my daughter, uh, every yeah. night. So yeah. there's no escape from values. So we, we're going to discern, we're going to have values, and we're going to discern things in ourselves. And we're going to feel appropriate motivation um, and remorse when that's called for. How do we do that without being hijacked by crippling, scolding, including internalized scolding, shaming, pathologizing, yeah. mean grinding, bullying, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. How do we sort out that part while preserving the discerning of what's the, of the facts, the valuing of what is better and worse, and a, an embodied, wholehearted, felt commitment to doing as good as we can by others and ourselves every day? The yeah. how of that to me is the crux of the matter. Yes, that the how of it and the having a kind of a healthy perspective on what yeah. you're trying to do in that how, yeah. right? Like yeah. if you're if you're if you're setting out for perfection, you know, which a lot of, a lot of people misunderstand. I think uh, you know mindfulness practices or a contemplative uh, path of practices is aiming toward this ideal that can't be done. Yeah. Uh, but it's not it's not about that in terms of radical responsibility to use Fleet's term. It's about ownership. It's about getting on a path of sidestepping that conditioning to blame others, knee jerk, and blame ourselves, and thereby suffer. And it's it's how to do that, but know that that's what you're aiming for is sidestepping the blame game altogether. Right. So then it's really interesting to zero in on what actually is the, are the problematic parts, right? And um, I think one of the keys is, of course, intent. What's our, mm -hmm. are you operating from goodwill or ill will? In other words, if you're, if you're confronting another person who's actually harmed you, they've mistreated yes. you. Let's just assume that from the get-go. They've wronged you. They've dropped the ball. They messed up. Something happened. Uh, Russ never sleeps. It's human. Right. <laughs> you know, right, right. They, they forgot to mail the package. Uh, they came to a meeting a few minutes late. Uh, or maybe they just kind of dumped their crud on you and walked away as if nothing happened, whatever. Right. Right? Right. So first off, are we coming at them with ill will or goodwill? That's a key distinction. What's our intention? And that's an area for me of fundamental practice. And I try mm -hmm. to engage it in real time and, and disengage as fast as one can from the ill will that may naturally arise. So what are the intentions, yeah. right? Um, another is, is there compassion present? Uh, mm. So if we think about problematic blame, the intent is to accuse, to be righteous, to pathologize, to dominate, 
to scorn, to exile, yeah. to cast out, all those things, including some of which we do to ourselves. So that's the intent. And second, there's right. no compassion in it, <laughs> either for them, if we're blaming them, I grew up in a fault-finding home, so I kind of know what that's like, uh, yeah. or uh, if we're blaming ourselves. So I'll just stop right there with intent and compassion, to me, are two key distinctions as we sort this out so we can continue to be moral, right? But without yeah. carrying the collateral damage of it. I think that, that your starting with intention is, is key because I think people jump to, you know, stuff they should be doing to, yeah. to own things yeah. for themselves. But to have the intention of doing so, it starts with that yeah. and that kind of mindset of intending ownership versus blame is is key. Well, um, intending building up rather than tearing down. Yeah, intending, yeah, yeah. Intending mending rather than tearing apart. You know, intending constructive rather than destructive. Uh, intending benefit rather than harm. Yeah. I mean, I'll tell you, you know, these days, you know, you, you watch any news cycle mm -hmm. and it's blame, blame, blame. I mean, this has always been, but particularly in the COVID era, you know, people pointing fingers, who, who's, who's to blame for this? Uh, the Chinese to blame, our, our leadership to blame, Dr. Fauci, is he to blame? You know, who, who's to blame? Is it the left? Is it the right? And then also with what's happening in our society with, you know, you know, you know, the conversation around race and the transformation that, that we're seeing. There's all of this, all, all of the blame going around. And I think about why is it so hard for us as human beings, and I do kind of put it out to all of us, to just, you know, be able to say, you know what, I messed something up. I own that I made a mistake. You know, when I'll give talks, Rick, in front of, you know, educators or therapists, I'll, I'll often start my talks these days with a, which a, with a Mitch, you know, F up story, you, you know, usually from my work, sometimes from my work, you know, my personal life as a parent and inevitably I'll ask people like, Hey, how many of you are wanting to get up and leave right now? Because I just gave you an example of how I messed stuff up and hmm. to the, to date, no one has gotten up and left. One person faked like they were going to, and it was like really funny when they did yeah, that. But yeah. it's like we we know in our guts that when somebody truly from presence, and I use that word intentionally, from presence looks others, you know, looks themselves in the eye and says, you know what? I own my experience. I own the impact of my behavior on others, and I'm willing to share in that real time here and now with you we know from our gut when somebody does that from presence we like we want to like hang out with that person we want to be led by that person and yet it doesn't seem like people are inclined to do that and it's interesting to me yeah this could be heretic you know a heresy of sorts uh in the context <laughs> here but i think in my view it's it's really important to name this part because it clears the ground for a, an authentic radical responsibility rather than yeah. adopting it as a kind of ism, which is certainly not your intent or fleet's intent. Um, yeah. First, I just want to call out what strikes me as a third key factor in mm -hmm. this distinction between operating with virtue, with morality, yeah. with appropriate yeah. restraint, you know, with goodness and so forth, uh, on the one hand, from on but on but on the other not with um blame as it were and so forth a third key element in addition to intention and compassion is i think a wide view mm. it's taking the big picture into account is seeing yeah. the whole story for example with another person let's suppose they've genuinely wronged you uh thinking about their history all the influences in their life, how they were raised, how their parents were raised, the culture they're in, uh, their, their history with you, your involvement in whatever happened, not to blame the victim, but just to yeah. recognize yeah. all of it. And ultimately in that uh, can be a, a fairly discerning insight into the fundamental nature of all things as relatively cloud-like rather than brick-like. In other words, mm. empty of essence or absolute self-existence and, and that conceptual insight into the nature of experiences and the nature of, 
uh, material reality uh, starts conceptually, but then it becomes increasingly felt. So those three right there, you know, what's your intention? Is there compassion? And are you seeing the big picture? That's fundamental, right? Yeah. And, and so you're saying that by aligning and bringing those three together, you, you have a, um, not just a right view, but there's a right practice. There's a fit yeah. and a congruity with others such that when you, not only are you more able to own a mistake or an error, yeah. it's yeah. felt as resonant within you. Yeah. And that is, that is more likely to be felt by others. Yeah, yeah, I've, had say, I've, had, I've had people apologizing to me, I don't know about you, and they'll say to me, I'm sorry you feel that way. And, and I'm like, there's something deep in my core. It's like, okay, they're trying to apologize, and I appreciate that, but they're basically putting it back on me, you know, that yeah. I'm feeling that way versus someone that says, you know what, I messed up. I'm sorry. And, and really, you can, you can feel the resonance of their presence with that, that their intention, the, the compassion they must have. I, I love that this frame you're putting on. It really kind of helps bind it up. The intention that they're bringing to that interaction and, and, and speaking from presence intentionally, and that they, they have compassion for the pain they must have caused you, and it's not about them. You know, it's actually not even about you. It's about like, let's, let's kind of not cause more suffering, you know, in the world. Right. By me, own it, by me owning this. Yes. Right. Someone walks up to the plate in baseball and hits a home run. We don't really explore the topic of radical responsibility there. <laughs> right. We're the whole. I love base baseball metaphors, by the way. <laughs> oh, do you? Okay. Okay. Oh, yeah, it works for oh, me. <laughs> okay, great. On the other hand, let's say uh, someone walks up to the plate, strikes out, starts cursing the catcher, starts cursing the umpire, breaks their, I don't know, throws their bat, you know, yells at the bat boy on the way out the door. Uh, you know, then we explore topics of radical responsibility. In other words, when there's something problematic in this space that they did yeah. or we did or we all did, you know, that's, that's the basis here. So to me, um, to be able to maintain the value of morality, virtue, positive intentions, you know, wholesome aspirations, the desire to do good and do, be good, and the desire even to put in correction that improves oneself and others, okay? To do that skillfully and effectively, for me, three keys are, you know, good intent, compassion, and big picture. Inside that, here's where I want to drop in the heresy, <laughs> okay, okay, go for it. <laughs> and you have the power to edit it out later if you oh, want. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's simply that um, all the great teachers, and certainly the psychologists, and um, you could say figures in, our, in the humanities, Gandalf, uh, uh, Aragorn, <laughs> uh, to draw on that metaphor, Yoda. Uh, you know my favorite places. Okay, I'm metaphor, working it. Yeah. I'm working it here. Yeah. I'm working it here. Okay. Galadriel, yeah. um, right. Uh, they are discerning and they, they bring the truth. And you think about political figures in our history, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., uh, all kinds of figures, they, they tell the truth. And I think that arguably one reason why people get into a pickle in their relationships is that they actually don't speak their complaints with each other yeah. sufficiently. And for yeah. some couples and family systems and relationships where there's a lot of finger pointing, as a longtime therapist, I guess I've seen a lot more where actually a person felt wounded or mistreated and there was a reason they felt that way, but they just didn't bring it up. So yeah. it gradually be becomes a big pile. And so I think that it's, and then of course you have people who've been structurally oppressed, who've had their complaints, their grievances. That's what we're talking about. Their sense of, hey, you did something bad here. Right? right, and you, you right. I wish you shouldn't do it, and you should cut it out, and da da. You know they've been silenced, or muzzled, or shamed, or minimized, and so I think it's really important to you, in part, use this approach, which I think is genius from Fleet, to clear space 
yeah. for a real truth telling and uh, at all scales. Mainly I work at the individual interpersonal level, the family systems level, uh, but even at the political level to clear space so that we can authentically and effectively engage uh, a reckoning with yeah. each other or at a social level and engage repentance, genuine repentance and mm. repair. Repair. Yeah, I like, I like the use of those words, repentance and repair, but it requires that clearing of a space. Yeah. Almost like clearing a, clearing, making a clearing in a forest is the image yeah. I like to, to conjure. And we're going to build a, a yeah. council fire of sorts. Yeah. Invite, invite people into it and sit yeah. down. Yeah. That's right. And a piece of it for me is I, I think a little bit about uh, rock climbing guides I've had. So I've done a lot of rock climbing and I've gone out in the wilderness. And as I've gotten older, I've, I've used guides because it's safer and it's yeah. more fun because they just zip up stuff I wouldn't want to lead myself. Right. Anyway, I've had two kinds of guides. Most of my guides, I think of you, honestly, Mitch, they're cool. <laughs> you know, they're, they're friendly. They're kind of no nonsense. They're going to make sure we get up the rock. They might prod me a little bit. You know, stop whining, Rick, and start climbing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, well, the rope's I, I on. Like, I like this version of me. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> and and they're, the way I would put it is that they're encouraging. They help me mm -hmm. find the courage to stretch and to yeah. face my lack of skill in some areas or come to reckoning with the fact that I need to, you know, improve my fitness. <laughs> Yeah, I hope yeah. to climb harder. Um, right. There's a, there's an encouraging in it, and there's a kindness in it, and there's a camaraderie in it. They're pointing out errors on my part, maybe, and they're prodding me, but they're not doing it with those pitfalls of shame, of shaming, meanness, tearing down, and ill will. On the other hand, yeah. I had one guide. I'll never forget this guy, who just radiated criticism and contempt, mm. and. I, I wonder if he was hung over. <laughs> right, he, right. Was, he wasn't really a happy camper. But he wasn't supportive. He you know, the he was pointing out things I could do better, but in a way that was full of what I think you're getting at with the word blame as an umbrella term. Uh, he was critical, he was mean, he didn't have a sense of the being inside me, the being mm. behind the eyes. And I think yeah. that kind of is the distinction and to make it real down beneath all these words you know i'm throwing out here what's it like to be with people that you feel better after you've been with them compared yeah. to people around whom you feel worse when you walk away and how can you be that way with yourself how can you mm. give yourself and internalize through psychological neuropsychological processes of of social learning how can you give yourself that same kind of advocacy and encouragement and no nonsense discernment when it's appropriate and healthy remorse when it's appropriate appropriate yeah. wince of yeah. guilt when that's appropriate in a way that keeps you going rather yeah. than freezes you in your tracks yeah. And, and that's, that's where I wonder how many people that here at the, for the beginning of our first book in the book club, they're like, you know, I hear you guys and this is conceptually awesome. And, and you seem like nice guys, but I'm just now learning about how to like follow my breath with attention and sit still and my mind's all over the place. What is this mindfulness stuff? What is it? And how is that going to lead to what you guys are talking about? If I'm sitting on a cushion or on a couch or wherever with yeah. my eyes closed, how is that going to get me to that? And well, I think it's great. It, it, very briefly, um, first, if one is not mindful in the simple sense, the basic fundamental sense of sustained present moment awareness, Yes. With perhaps other elements present, but that's the heart of the matter, sustained present moment awareness. If we don't have sustained present moment awareness, we can't recognize when we're in ill will or goodwill. We can't recognize if we're coming from hatefulness and cruelty or compassion and kindness. Right? Yeah. And we, can't, we can't recognize if we're just sucked into one little piece of the big picture or we're seeing the big picture, first off. And then also, to be mindful... We need to have good intent to sustain yes. that, right? And in that is a sense of kind of being on our own side. We're for ourselves. We're doing it for a reason. We're trying to help ourselves by being mindful. Yes. 
in naturally out of mindfulness uh, can grow a kind of compassion for yourself because you just you just see the whole picture when you see the whole picture as humans compassion tends to naturally follow unless a person is deliberately trying to restrain it or habitually yeah. automatically restraining it and then also mindfulness naturally <whistles> takes us out into the big picture, the, the totality of our own experience, especially the nonverbal, somatic, in, and more vulnerable, more fundamental, uh, even younger elements or layers in the parfait of the psyche, you know, the layer cake right, of the right, psyche right, right. down there in the basement, uh, we see the bigger picture through mindfulness. So to me, mindfulness is completely uh, allied with these three qualities that I'm highlighting here. That, that is a crucial thing, because I think a lot of people, particularly in our society, and I think you and I have talked about this before, you know, it's like so easy to grab onto this thing that you do that will get me this. Yeah. You know, that's kind of the Western mindset, right? That I'm going to do this to get this, make this happen. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm going to, I'm going to meditate so that I'm less stressed. I'm going to meditate so I can get that raise at work or yell less with my kids. And that's all wonderful yeah. stuff. But what I think you're saying, and tell me if I'm wrong, is that meditation is a structure that aims at all those things that you were talking about it and, and, a, and a microcosm. Every time you sit to apply mindful breathing as a practice, you are connecting with, you know, the truth of your experience in that moment mm. intentionally. Yeah, and then you are coming across how there there is uh, a lot happening you can't control, and so there's a in a growing compassion for yourself mm. that that happens, and when you are in the interaction with others, you realize that they they don't control much either, and and then there's that sense of just spaciousness everything is connected that comes when you as you sit and practice so so it's not just about getting making something happen well beautifully said um and we grow over time uh i yeah. think of i think i'm a practice guy you know i consume a lot of research i'm enormously interested in it i try to apply it i produce just a tiny bit of it but mostly i'm a i'm a practice guy you know i'm a methods guy in the trenches yeah. I think the Buddha, you know, if I could say it, he too sure. was a he was a practice guy. He was interested in what was helpful, including the the ways in which wise view or discernment is actually helpful. And um, as a practice guy, I think practice fundamentally is like a three-legged stool with three components: uh, loving, knowing, and growing. In a nutshell, mm, there, there's yeah. a warm-heartedness, there's compassion, there's kindness, there's good intent rather than bad intent. You know, we bring yeah. our whole heart to it. We bring courage to it. The root of the word for courage, as you know, is, in, involves the heart. And second, we need to be self-aware. We need to be mindful. We need to be yeah. externally aware and internally aware mindfulness. So we have, in a nutshell, compassion and mindfulness and learning, cultivation. Yes. We grow in the process. I mean, I, we shed afflictive intentions and old trauma and wounds, we let it go, and we cultivate qualities inside, such as grit and, you know, happiness and emotional intelligence, secure attachment, and also mindfulness itself. So to me, they, they swirl together, right? Compassion, mindfulness, and cultivation. Yeah. Uh, some people yeah. are really strong in one, not the others, and it's right. like a three-legged stool, though it's not a pogo stick. <laughs> right, and it can wobble. My mom. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. No, I, I really like that. You know, I think about it reminds me of the classic instructions around sitting meditation, you know, around posture and, mm. you know, different schools of thought, you know, and, you know, traditionally very different ways of doing how to hold your hands, how to, how to sit, all of that. Um, which to me, one of the things I hear about a lot is, you know, sitting upright. You know, mm. you, know you hear that around sitting meditation. And usually what you hear people say is, well, you're going to be more alert, you know, and, you know, you're, you're going to be more aware of what's happening moment to moment if you're sitting upright without being rigid. Makes sense to me. Uh, maybe your breathing will be more efficient because you'll be sitting up and kind of opening up your body. The thing that's always resonated for me, Rick, around it 
is and some people you know i'm not i'm not making this up i'm not making anything up i'm just talking about stuff the thing i've always resonated to is that when you sit upright and you show up to practice over and over again it's kind of being a badass to do that <laughs> i mean you're sitting you're sitting upright yeah. and it's not about i'm gonna i'm gonna calm every time i do this i've yeah. sat a number of times over the years and tears are coming anger shows up yeah. you know sadness wells and that's that's where it becomes that's that's the courage like i'm here to sit i'm intending to sit i'm intending to practice yeah. and i'm intending to grow this part of myself that's more than myself that can yeah. see what's ever showing up in me and bear witness to it, learn from it, and grow as a person, grow as a member of this human uh, society. So, you know, I, I think it's kind of, I like, that always helps me if I'm feeling kind of low in a particular area, oh, maybe I'll go sit and I'll be a badass again. Ah, uh, I think that's <laughs> great. And in a funny kind of way, if, can I extend this? I want to extend it if I yeah, could. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To what I, what I think is one of the hardest moments. So relationships are built from interactions and yeah. interactions are built from turns turn taking yes so you yes. and i are doing turn taking and there's a lot of research on interactions in my own background a lot is in developmental psychology so you'll watch videotapes of an infant or let's say a toddler nine months old sitting up in a high chair interacting yes. with a caregiver and then you can watch adults interacting with each other so Here's the thing. Let's let's make it let's make it real. Okay, great. Let's okay. just do it for fun. So, sure. let's say that we start out, and it's almost like a ping pong game or a tennis back and forth, where yeah. you put the ball in play, and let's suppose you put the ball in play with some kind of complaint about me. Maybe it's implicit. You're making a request. Maybe there's some tone in it. You know, there's. It's, there's top spin on the pitch, right? Uh, you want or, me to actually do? You want me to actually do? That? No, no, no. Let's suppose you do it. So here's the thing. But okay, yeah, you can I really will. make it. Oh, I'll make it real, right? Okay, good, great. To to make say something critical or a request or a grievance or reproach. Just think of the whole territory here so, of, so, of where we. So it's it, you know I'm noting the fact that you were a few minutes late, Rick, to beginning our meeting. And I was sitting here waiting for you. Great. Thanks, Mitch. So great. Ball in play. Now, what do I do? And to me, that moment, this moment right here, what do I do with that is one of the key turning points in a, in a relationship, in an interaction. Yes. And with yes. repetition, it becomes a turning point in a relationship. So I could say to you, um, I could blow it off. I could deny. I wasn't late. Yeah. Or alternately, I could say, so what? Or yes. alternately, I could say through one action or another, I could communicate a kind of, you know, superiority, like, hey, I'm the guest, you know. <laughs> I don't know. Or, or I, could, I could apologize. I could say, you're totally right. I'm really sorry about that. Mm. You know, and it's not out of disrespect. It's out of, I was just kind of sloppy this morning and one thing led to another, right? Yeah. Or, or I could say, wow, I come from a culture where five minutes past the hour is early for a meeting. Uh, yeah. I didn't realize this yeah. was a, you know, a big deal for you. And then I could add tone to that. I could say, I didn't realize this was such a big deal for you. Yeah, yeah, or, yeah. Or I could say genuinely and sincerely with good intent. Oh, oh sorry. I didn't realize this was a... Uh, you know, a deal and you're totally, I got it. You're right. Top of the hours, top of the hour. I was five minutes after, you know, got it. Won't which, happen again. Which, which or, just to note, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Or, or, or one more, I just finish it off or, and, or, um, I could make my mistake, your problem. I go, wow, Mitch, you know, when you bring that up, I just feel so bad, you know, yeah. and it just brings up, you know, maybe my genuine history of insecure attachment and all the rest of that, but whatever, yeah. you know, like, oh, and, and suddenly now, even though I messed up, I want you to make me feel better, you know, and deflect responsibility for my own mistake. 
And this okay. is this is what you know Fleet uh, very masterfully does in summarizing mm -hmm. uh, Cartman's drama triangle. Because you know, oh. in there you were you were the rescuer, not so much the rescuer, but you're yeah. definitely the the persecutor and playing the victim. Right. And and but it's all about the conditioning of reactivity. Yeah. Which actually puts it back in my court that I'm more likely to be in my conditioning of reactivity. Yeah. And and then round and around we go versus yeah. you taking that turning point from and this is so right on. This is ownership. It is a mo it is a mindful moment. Yeah. That that you rest in presence, what I what I call presence, and you do what I call take a one down stance and 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 self kind of falls away and it becomes we. Yeah. And it's like, hey, intentionally, I'm going to let you know that I authentically see what happened and that it impacted you. And I, I always like to tell people, and I can't even begin to imagine what that does for you. You'll have to show me. Mm -hmm. that, that kind of communication that this is my experience. I'm not going to prejudge what yours must be. Yeah. You know, that, that is not what our conditioning inherently is and maybe there's some genetics around our you know that eons and eons ago we were more likely to survive if we jumped to certain biased conclusions and our attributions yeah. about others or yeah. you know things moving quickly or erratically we yeah. we're more likely to survive but we don't live in that world anymore right and we generally have the luxury of nuance uh, despite the many threats and things that are going on that are problems. Yeah. But you know what I'm saying, I think. Oh, yeah. And so right here, um, you hit the ball across the net, right? Mm. And so we could also debrief and kind of evaluate different ways to hit the ball across the net, you know, you yes. different tones or facial expressions in the role play we're doing here, which is grounded in reality. I was five minutes late. I still yeah. feel bad about it. Yeah, uh, well, but you did, you did authentically own it as soon as we came, as soon as you got on the call anyway. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, and so here's the, to me, this is really a crux question. You hit the ball across the net with whatever it is, and people rarely hit the ball across the net initially perfectly. Yes. They don't. Yes do it with perfect nonviolent communication form. It's right. not, you know, they're not like a Jedi master. <laughs> so, you know, they're just boom, boom. They say right. it, right? And it's a package and there's stuff in it and there are maybe your words they're using that are a little off or maybe they exaggerated or maybe they left an important thing out and then there's what their yeah. face was doing but their tone was different. So there are issues of authenticity. It just, it's a messy package. But then right. what's our, what's our what's our opportunity in terms of our response to keep the volley going because we want to have a good volley let's say depending on what comes across the net in my view we have a range of options right yes and the key question is do we go to the low end or do we help ourselves nudge toward the high end of that range if someone yeah. comes at us and their first um ball across the net is they're screaming and cursing at us and getting physically aggressive and invasive huh our range is kind of down here, you know? Right, On right. the other hand, maybe they hit the ball across the net in a really, really super skillful way. Then our range is more up here. Otherwise, it's one or more in the middle. Then the question is, where in our range do we go? And yeah. it's really interesting to ask ourselves, what are the internal factors, separate from the situational factors that are out of our control, but the internal psychological factors, like traits of mindfulness, the development of trait mindfulness over time, trait self-compassion over time, trait self-regulation over time, da-da-da-da. You know, what are the, what are the traits internally, uh, including our attitudes and points of view and intentions that help us go to the high end of the range, in, which includes taking, the way I put it, maximum reasonable personal responsibility for mm. your part of the matter and admitting fault, uh, making correction, uh, and moving on, right? What enables you to do that? And maybe we could talk a little bit about that because I'd love to talk about that, which I think is enormously important at the down and dirty level of daily life. And obviously yeah. you could scale it up politically, but flip it around for the person who's the communic, you know, I think of plaintiff defendant, you're the plaintiff yeah, here, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah. So that's how it starts. 
you start out, you have a want, you have a request, you have an unmet need, you think there's a broken agreement, something's happened, yeah. you got hurt, or maybe you're concerned about a third party. You yeah. Know, right, da, da. If I'm a jerk about it, this is a high salient moment. This is high stakes. Yeah. When you hit that ball across the net, you're already vulnerable. You're right. maybe asking for something, you're upset about something, you're bringing it up because it matters to you. The way right. I respond is really going to set the course of our relationship. That's so right. It's really important that I go to the high end of the range. And also third parties may be watching and, yeah. and seeing how each of us operates too, right? So right. this is really important to figure out and to grow. What will help you be at the high end of that range of, well, I'll call it the radical responsibility range, right? Yeah. Being at the yeah. high end rather than the low end of what's authentically available to you in the moment. And do you think it's possible that more that we could reach a tipping point of more and more people sidestepping that conditioning to be able to radically be responsible, to own error, to take that volley and say, you know what, I, I messed that up and or I caused you pain. Yeah. And and, to, and for that, I am sorry. And I want to look at that with you. I want to address it. I want to be reverent about it. I want to repair. Yeah. And, and let's clear a space for that. I mean, God, what can be more timely than that? Oh, yeah. Know, and how, how, how do we, is that, is that just pie in the sky? Or can, is that only something we're going to talk about right now? And then it's going to go away? I mean, this, this to me is a crucial thing. Like, can we practice toward more ownership and taking that one down to me when people do that toward me i i, I want to be around that person exactly. i want that person to i want them to lead yeah. and 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 yes if i'm out on a boat i'll use a nautical reference and i this has happened i've been on a boat and the captain of the boat got completely lost and we were trying to get back to the marina and they would not admit that they did not know where they were going. And now, would I have wanted them to come completely unglued? Oh my God, oh my God, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. No, but would it have been ideal for them to say, you know what guys, I, you know, I'm a little off my bearings here. Let's figure this out together. And, and yet, you know, I think I would have hung in with that captain. Right. Oh yeah. Um... So if we think of some key, high priority, big impact internal factors that maybe we'll, you know, that people can think about developing, and I know they're explored in Fleet's book. Uh, one is to realize it's, the framing typically is that when someone starts with a complaint, a request, an accusation, a grievance, a reproach, one of those yeah. things, the natural tendency is to get defensive and to fire back. That's right. The problem is, that that's actually not in your best self-interest. What's in your best self-interest, mm. turn by turn, interaction by interaction, is to continually go to the high end of what's authentically available to you. That's in your yes. best interest. So to realize yeah. that in a funny kind of way, my strong move to the hoop, now I'm doing basketball, sorry, but anyway. <laughs> We're my, just all best, over the <laughs> my, my best move my, is to uh, uh, go to the high end of my range. The, yeah. the, best, the best way to win in a sense, or pursue my own values here, which are all kinds of things. Don't look like a jerk. Uh, don't create side issues that this other person yeah. can use to distract from the main topic. Keep your eyes on the prize. What other people think of you, how you feel right. deep down inside, growing good relationships with another person, getting out of a sticky interaction and cutting to the chase, putting the correction yeah. in and moving on. It's in your best self-interest to do that. That's a really yes, important thing. That's a, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. A second one is weirdly, it's to have a strong sense of personal autonomy. Because mm. if you feel autonomous and grounded in that, then you can receive the influence of other people. Yeah. Right? Other, yeah. You know, paradoxically, it's sort of like the Aikido, you know, or something that the more you feel deeply rooted, the, the more you can yeah. receive the, the energy of other people. I think yeah. that's really important. Yeah, and then also real-time mindfulness of your reactions, because if you get hijacked by your reactions, um, then you just 
you can't go to the high end of your range. They're going to drag you into the low end of the pool. So those three, right off the top, you know, recognizing that it's in your best interest to take maximum reasonable personal responsibility counterintuitively. Also, uh, you are autonomous. You're not going to agree to anything you don't want to agree to. You're going to sort out excessive accusations and blame from the genuine fault or the genuine correction to make going forward. You're going to, you're the boss of your own mind. Fundamentally, you're not going to knuckle under paradoxically helps you be much more surrendered and receptive and cooperative and yielding. And then last, obviously self-awareness, real-time mindfulness, uh, so that you can get some separation from your reactions. They may well arise. You may want to, but that's right. That's right. This this is so I know we have to wrap up, but this this is a really good place to 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 end. And I'll I do a lot of work with families uh, as a Clint, as a psychologist, and I'll when I am coaching parents around managing their kids, often really knucklehead behavior. Yeah. Um, you know, it's that's the way the parents will often look at it, like they're being a knucklehead, they're being manipulated. They have that narrative that is understandable, but yet is binding them in that us and them, that blame mm. game. Yeah. And so a big thing I like to hold out to them is like, it's that counterintuitive piece that you're putting out there around self-interest. Like, and I'll ask them like, what matters to you most about being a parent? Yeah. Like, what is it you want to most teach your yeah. kids? And there's the stuff that you think you're teaching. And then there's what you teach with your example every right. day. How about teaching our kids, your kids, how to manage pain? And if you, they know when you're wrong, typically, they know when you, you know, effed up. And if you're able to look at them and say, you know what, I effed up. I mean, you're, you're, you're hitting it out of the park to go back to the baseball analogy. I mean, you're, you're showing this kid, hey, I can still be in a place of presence. I'm still your parent. Yeah. I'm not caving. I'm not going to let you run the house. Yeah. And yet I can look at you and authentically say, Hey, I, I messed up and that may yeah. have caused you pain. And, and that's the highest, one of the highest orders of teachings you can do for your child. That seems to people resonate. Yeah. I want to show yeah. up to that. Yeah. And I, and I think that's what we're talking about. And that's what Fleet talks about throughout the book. It's that's radical. And, and yet it is, it is in your own self-interest uh, you know, to, to do that for yourself, but then also for, you know, your, 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 your kids, your colleagues. Um, awesome, awesome stuff, Rick. That's Thank right. You. Thank you. Oh Thank yeah. You. And Thank I would you. just really add, yeah, yeah, go ahead. When, when you, we, one, me, you, all of us, when we have a, an experience of a way to be that we value, like when, you do, let's say, oh, slow it down and cop to your stuff. To go back yes. to my you know, 60s and 70s roots, uh, cop to your stuff, own it, acknowledge it. For me, it's really important to be able to sort out what actually warrants healthy remorse and what is more a matter of skillful correction. Even yes. if the other person is accusing you and they think you ought to be ashamed of yourself for you, no. But, you know, from now on, I won't use that word because I can see it's not really that skillful yeah. or, or, oh, okay, I, I won't do that again. I, I literally will implement correction and I'm going to be impeccable about it, partly to get you off my back and partly for its own sake, but I'm going right. to do that going forward, you know, to separate what's warrants healthy remorse from more matter of skillful correction. Yeah. You know, when, you, when we have a sense of, of what that's like and that, that it goes well, when we're in that place, that actually is the best for us in a funny kind of way. It, yeah. it, we're operating with life in an, in an increasingly frictionless way. Right? Yeah, I like that. You know? There's Take a reinforcement to that. There's a reinforcement yeah. to that. Take yeah. it in. Let it sink in so you acquire it increasingly as a trait. That way of being becomes increasingly established in you and it becomes more and more natural and the habit of your heart. Well, you, you referenced Aikido before I'm a big martial arts enthusiast oh. and I've been uh, watching, I've watched all the Bruce Lee movies. I, you know, I love anything martial arts, but I love the martial arts that are truly 
the arts, you know, mm -hmm. where like uh, Wing Chun, Kung Fu or Aikido or mm -hmm. where it's, it's about that paradox of not fighting for control or dominance or victory or, or to beat somebody up, where it's about being able to have a sense of ease and flexibility that meets the moment of challenge and moves with it, not to dominate, but to, you know, resolve and move past the friction that benefits mm. both sides. And, and I do think that that's, that that's, that's what's really cool about this book is that it really gives you a lot of understanding within a lot of specific tools to, to get on that, uh, that path. And Fleet says in the book, and we'll, we'll end here, you know, he's like, uh, radical responsibility is a marathon, not a sprint. Yeah. And, yes. and I, mm -hmm. I totally, yes. And the thing is about running marathon, I, I never have, it's still on my bucket list. People that do run a lot of marathons, they're like, you know, yeah, this took a lot of training can be painful at times, but I like running marathons. And, you know, and I think there's something to, you can start to almost, not almost, you start to enjoy this, uh, these, these practices that create this ongoing sense of ease in the world and competence and the, the ability to influence, but without controlling things. And I think that's pretty cool. That's it's pretty cool. badass. It's pretty badass. <laughs> it's rad, baby. It's rad. It's, it's rad. really radical. As I'm, as I'm wearing my sandals with, you know, open toes. Yes. Rick, thank you. Thank you so much for the conversation. I think we went a few minutes over time, so I need to own that. <sighs> but, uh, <laughs> but thank you so much. And I'm, I'm sure you and I will chat again soon. And, I look forward um, to it, Mitch. Really. All right. Thank all you. Right. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining me for today's episode of The Prize of Possibility. I hope you found things of benefit here. If so, please consider giving this show a positive review. Such feedback is not only great to hear, um, it also really helps elevate the show so that others can find benefit from it. Please stay tuned. More episodes, some great guests on the way so that we can together discover these true life prizes in daily life. Take care.